Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's Safety and Health webcast, your path to being one of America's safest companies, sponsored by Performance Solutions by Millican. My name is Kevin Drulli. I'm an associate editor with Safety and Health magazine, and I will be moderating today's session. Thanks for joining us. In a few minutes, we'll start the presentation, but first I want to go over some preliminary items. The views of today's speakers and organizations are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not mean the council or magazine endorses those items. At the end of today's webcast, we will conduct a question and answer session. To ask a question, simply type it in the text box in the lower left-hand corner of your screen and click the button for Submit Question. Feel free to ask your question at any time during the presentation. You don't have to wait for the question and answer session to begin. We'll try to answer as many questions as possible, but because of the large number of participants today, we might not get to every question. Any unanswered questions will be forwarded along to today's speaker. For basic troubleshooting information, click the Help button located on your screen. At the end of the webcast, you will be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey. I will let you know more about that at the end of the presentation. This webcast is archived, so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, go to safetyandhealthmagazine.com events. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Our speaker today will be Phil McIntyre, Managing Director of Marketing and Client Development for Performance Solutions by Millican. Phil brings three decades of business leadership and manufacturing expertise. During his time at Millican, he has led several business units to profitable growth and financial stability. Phil holds a degree in Industrial Engineering from Clemson University and a Master of Business Administration degree from Wake Forest University. Again, we thank all of you for tuning into this presentation. Phil, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, good afternoon and good morning, everyone. I uh, appreciate your attendance in today's webinar entitled, Your Path to Becoming One of America's Safest Companies. I want to give you just a, a little bit of introduction into what I'm going to cover today. I've got about 30 slides here in total, so you don't have to worry about one slide after another um, for an hour. I've got about seven or eight slides here to give you a little introduction to Milliken and Company. As I travel the world and make presentations similar to this, I'm often fascinated by some areas are very familiar with Milliken and Company and some are not familiar with Milliken at all. So I want to spend just a few minutes at the beginning of this webinar introducing you to Milliken and Company because I think it's an important discussion when we talk about safety as a value. It's an important discussion to talk about a little bit of the from perspective before we started our journey, what it looked like, the situation we were in, and then we'll talk about the elements that allowed us to create a sustainable um, safety process and safety culture. And then I'm going to talk for just a couple of slides at the very end on performance solutions by Milliken. I'll give you a little more background about myself. I've been with Milliken 32 years, and in those 32 years, as Kevin mentioned, uh, wide, diverse variety of roles ranging from about every role you can have in manufacturing, multi-plan responsibility, up to running several business units within Milliken. Very fortunate to um, have a 32-year career with, with Milliken and Company. Milliken is 153 years old this year, and one of the interesting facts about Milliken and Company is that for 140 of the 153 years, we only had three CEOs. The company was started, as you see there, in 1865 with the gentleman we refer to as Mr. Milliken. Roger Milliken's uh, grandfather started the company in 1865. He turned it over to his son, who turned it over to Mr. Milliken. So for 140 years, um, three CEOs. Now, that creates a certain culture within any organization, as you can imagine. And the culture that was established within Milliken was... Um, we are in hyper-competitive industries. Milliken, I'll show you in just a minute, is a textile, chemical, and floor-covering manufacturing company. We're in hyper-competitive industries, so we all, always challenged ourselves to do better and better operationally. We challenged ourselves to do better and better safety-wise, and we continue to comb the world for the best practices that, in all frankness, I like to say that we could steal shamelessly and bring back in and institutionalize in Milliken and Company, a really hard-driving company uh, founded on continuous improvement and challenging yourself to be better and better every day. Privately held, as you can tell from some of the comments that I've made, still privately held uh, company to this day. 
It should be noted as well that in the last 13 years, we are currently have just begun with our fourth CEO. So three CEOs for 140 years, four over the last 13, but the fact that we're still making presentations and the fact that safety is still a value to the organization shows a certain level of associate engagement, which we'll dig into in great detail. It shows a certain level of holding safety as a value, as an uncompromised value, I should say, and we'll talk about that as well. But the fact that these things we're talking about in the safety field has been able to uh, last through four CEO changes over the last 13 years is, is a testament to the fact of how it's rooted on our hourly workforce floor. About two and a half billion in revenue worldwide, um, 45 to 50 sites manufacturing in six countries. All the manufacturing there is to supply local markets. We don't get into importing and external, uh, importing and uh, exporting internally or transfer pricing or anything to take advantage of um, cheaper conditions somewhere else in the world. All our manufacturing sites are there to service local markets. Three primary divisions within Millican and Company. One is a textile division. You see in the in the uh, horizontal top box there, textiles that um, not necessarily apparel and centric, but textiles that go into a lot of performance applications, a lot of substrate applications, chairs, automotive, uh, all types of different textile applications there. We te textile division for Millican represents about 50% of the revenue of the company. Uh, chemical division that makes a lot of specialty chemicals for the market, clarifiers, um, chemicals that give plastics certain tint, chemicals that clarify plastics, etc. And a floor covering division that is primarily on commercial uh, carpet installations, airports, hotels, schools, things like that. Interestingly, for many of you, as I alluded to, many of you have probably heard of Millican before. Uh, Millican, many of you probably have not, but they say that you touch a Millican product 50 times a day. And for those of you who had never heard of Millican and Company, very fascinating when people learn that there's so many different applications that Millican plays a part in um, that you don't really realize. Millican makes very, very few direct-to-consumer um, products. Floor covering is one, and a, a carpet cleaning product is another. I like to say you hear the terms many times in the market, a B2B type uh, company. I like to position Millican when I make these type of presentations as an M2M company. We're a manufacturing company that provides products to other manufacturing companies that typically sell you the end use of, of what you use in these 50 times a day. A lot of stories that can be told about Millican. Um, I talked about the hyper-competitiveness of the global textile industry. Couple that with some of the things that we were faced with in the mid-80s to the mid-90s. Governmental regulations were changing, such as NAFTA. That is, that is uh, you're hearing it in the news again today. A lot of companies chased more, uh, chased inexpensive labor throughout the world to uh, manufacture their product cheaper. Uh, we did not do that. A lot of things have changed. 20 years ago, Millican and Company had eight competitors with greater than a billion dollars in revenue. And today we're the only one that still maintains a headquarters in the United States. Now, that's not to imply that each of the individual markets that you just saw doesn't have a competitive situation. It does. But the footprint of what we look like today with our competitive situation is significantly different than it was 25 years ago. We've had strong um, compounded annualized growth in our earnings over the last 20 years. We're going to talk about that briefly in the performance system. Um, we also, and one of the reasons I talk about my background a little bit in this presentation is there's some things I want you to learn um, that Millican did right on our safety journey. There's some things that Millican did incorrectly during our safety journey, and I'll be frank about um, both of those things. But 32 years ago, I would not have imagined that the company that I just entered into 
would be in a position to where we could run all our plants around the world with no off-shift supervision. And to me today, 32 years in, that is a very fascinating uh, statement. And to me, it's an indication of the empowered workforce that we have. Now, I noticed as Kevin was giving the introductions and talked a little bit about NSC and had a few words in there that I thought were very appropriate that really NSC is a uh, partner with this presentation, but doesn't necessarily uh, endorse or, or or support any of the presentations that they have to show. I, I like those qualifiers. The reason I'm bringing that up is I think it's important in this presentation as well. What I'm going to do for the next uh, 40 more minutes, 35 more minutes, is give you a lot of storytelling, give you some real-world examples, give you some concrete steps that Milliken was able to take over the years, but that in no way implies that this is necessarily an advocacy that you need to go down this same path. Meaning, while we are very proud of the fact that we've been able to get to a point where we can run all our plants around the world with no off-shift supervision, not an advocacy in any way that you need to adopt that philosophy and, and choose that path. This is just a data point for us that we feel is very important when we talk about an engaged and empowered workforce. And we'll talk about how we got that, how we got to that point over time. Um, and the last bullet you see on this slide is one of the best safety records. Uh, Milliken is the first company that was inducted into America's Safety Company's uh, Hall of Fame. Uh, Milliken and company for the last 15 years over this footprint that you've seen runs an incident rate of about 0 0.6 uh, for the last 15 years. Very, very proud of those numbers. Uh, World-class numbers, as you well know, that's the TIR. Sometimes there's another I in there, TIIR. That's with the U.S.-based measurement system of per 200,000 man-hours. Uh, total injury and illness rate of 0 0.6 for the last 15 years. Very proud of the fact, but let me also say that I believe one of the things Milliken has done right uh, during this journey is remain humble. Um, through this time frame. And that's part, a lot of a reason why I talk about the culture of continuous improvement. There's still work to do. We're running a 0 0.6, but there's still between 50 and 60 people a year that are injured in Milliken and Company. And the goal is zero. We believe this is one of the truest metrics in, in all of the different things that you can measure in an organization. Uh, it's strictly binary. It's on or off. It was injured or it is not an injury. And for us, zero is the goal. So we still have, very proud of the point six, still have work to do, 50 people a year um, become injured. Now with that said, let me also mention that if you look at it from a severity index, days away, restricted transfer, a dart rate, all these different metrics that are in the industries and markets today, Milliken runs a dart rate of somewhere around 0 0.03 which means that in a very um, technical, machinery-centric, complex manufacturing environment such as ours, very, very few of our injuries are severe in nature. Um, I also want to mention, as, we, as, we, as I paint a picture for Millington Company, that metrics is an extremely important part of any world-class safety process. And I've just given you two of the greatest lagging indicator metrics there are, incident rate and dart rate. And we'll talk about the balance and some different metrics as we go through in just a minute. But I want you to know, fully recognize that, proud of these numbers, but they're also lagging indicators. And there's also work to be done in an organization like Milliken that has safety as a value. But it wasn't always the case. Um, the word I use many times is tragically, unfortunately, for Milliken and company. Our safety journey started in earnest in the 1989 timeframe when we actually had a fatality in one of our facilities. A um, young lady uh, lost her life in a piece of equipment that management had asked her to fix a quality problem in. And for us, it was a type of moment, such a tragic moment, that the leadership of the company, Mr. Milliken in particular, but supported by the total leadership of the company, said safety is no longer going to be another metric that we talk about. We think we've given it the emphasis that it deserves, but it obviously has not. Safety from this point forward is going to be an uncompromised value. There's so many lessons learned from those statements. 
Uh, the first is that there was um, amazing support from the top of the organization that safety was going to be the term I continue to use as an uncompromised value. But it should be noted that at this point in time in Millican and Company, right after this tragic event, we really didn't know what that meant. What does uncompromising value mean? We had no safety infrastructure in place. There were really no set standardized um, safety practices and policies that could be consistent across Millican and Company in total. We were, we were muscling a lot of things. We were working hard to do a lot of things, trying to stay safe. But at that point in 1989 was when we made the change that safety is going to be an uncompromised value. One of the first things we did is we took an individual from a plant management role and made that individual the global safety director for Millican and Company. Again, similar to some previous comments I've made, not an advocacy that everyone uh, should do something like this, but we put no safety infrastructure in place. To this day, over a company the size of the footprint of Millican and Company, we still have one person responsible for safety uh, supported by an administrative associate. No site-specific safety specialists, no division-specific safety specialists. And the reason we did that was not through intelligent design. It was through 32 years ago, whatever that number is, 20-something years ago, we didn't know any better. There weren't a lot of companies to benchmark. It was the, it was the decisions we made at that time. And we found a way to get to where we are over this journey that I'll give you more clarity about. But the infrastructure today is one global safety director supported by uh, an administrative associate. We started our safety journey in 1989. We started our performance system journey in the 1996 timeframe. And I show this slide for a couple of reasons. I think it's important because as you position, there's some things Millican did right. There's some things Millican did wrong. There's also some things, when you talk about those two elements, you also have to talk about some things that Millican got lucky on. And I'll be the first to tell you because I'm, I do have that from two perspective over 32 years. One of the things Millican got lucky on is the fact that we started our safety journey eight or nine years before we started our performance system journey. So the workforce was used to leadership investing in their health and well-being. The workforce was used to their ideas being solicited to a greater degree. The workforce was used to being working on teams and establishing projects around topics such as safety. And when we created the performance system eight years after, after, our, um, after our safety launch, the workforce was more in tune to recognizing that they trusted leadership, that this was uh, the right next step to make. I propose that our improvements in performance, our improvements in CAGR, would not be as aggressive as they have been over the last 20 years had we not had that eight-year run of uh, the workforce recognizing that we're going to invest in their health and well-being. Had we not had that eight-year run, results would have been significantly slower. We would have had to spend more time on the proof of concept to prove this trust factor uh, than we did, than we had to in our real life situation anyway. That's evident by the fact that when we created our pillars, again, I'll say it for probably the third time because like many of you on this webinar, uh, I'm about tired of looking at Parthenons, even ours. We've seen so many different pictures, views of people's performance systems, yet we have one ourselves. But one of the things we did very right in our journey is we made safety the foundation, and it showed that everything that we do as a company, as an organization, was going to be built upon that foundation. It was a very important visual for the whole organization to rally around that everything starts there. Um, so a, lot of, a little bit of storytelling with the performance system, with safety, the reason I put this, this picture in for you today to show that we branded this early on, that nothing is going to be, this was part of the journey to make it an uncompromised value. Nothing takes precedent over safety. Talked about the incident rate a little bit. The green line at the bottom is Millican and Company. Uh, the red is all U.S. industry, and the yellow is textile. We talked to a lot of organizations that, that many organizations that are intrigued with our message find themselves currently at somewhere around half their industry average. 
And what they're looking for is that next breakthrough to help get them off the plateau, that next great thing that they can work on. Um, and it's been interesting. I thought a lot of companies would be intrigued with an incident rate much higher than U.S. industry standard, but it's been just the opposite. It's those companies that have safety as a value now, and I would propose without even seeing a list of who is part of this webinar today, I would propose that the vast majority of you out there, 90 plus percent, 95 plus percent, have safety as a value, and you're looking for that next that next breakthrough, that next thing you can implement into your existing safety journey. Very few companies want to do a, a cut-and-paste approach to their safety process. They're looking for the next great idea, uh, and we've seen that many, many times um, in relation to this chart with the U.S. industry average. Some of those things that Millican has done is we can position it on the evolution of the Millican safety process. Now, it's important when you look at this to recognize that Millican didn't necessarily know and we didn't give titles to these eras when we were going through them. We were doing things. We were progressing. We like to use the word journey. We were going down this path, but we started off in a very uh, reactive mode. We had a tragic situation. We wanted to react to it. So what did we do? We started benchmarking other companies in the world. We started partnering with academia. We started working with our insurance providers. Uh, Millican is a privately held company, as you saw, so we're self-insured, as many of you as were. We did everything we had, everything we did on safety. We had spent the last 130-something years doing combing the world, finding best practice, what could we institutionalize, what could we bring back. We saw great successes as we were doing this, and we moved from a reactive mode to a preventive mode. We started additional partnering, as you see there, um, and I can go into a, a greater detail on VPP Star. If someone is not familiar with that, I can do that in the Q&A session, but we started um, having more partnerships. We started creating the Millican Performance System which really pushed us to another level as well. We created our own internal continuous improvement methodologies. MQSP is what we called it for a while, the Millican Quality Safety Process. A lot of these things, since we showed great results in the reactive phase, we started going down the preventive phase. Um, how do we prevent injuries before they occur and continued on this journey? And we got to a point where we could get predictive in nature with all types of um, residual risk reduction, FMEA analysis, all types of tools that were applicable to us that we could focus on predicting incidents before they occurred um, as opposed to being reactive or preventive in nature. So it's an evolution. It's a journey is what I'm trying to paint a picture of. Uh, and it's important to recognize, as you'll see in just a little bit, where we are, where you are at different parts of the journey. So about eight or nine slides there, as I mentioned, to give you a little flavor of Millican & Company, because I think it's very important. I like to say, uh, especially to many people in Millican & Company, that if you've got a 17-year career with Millican right now, that's a successful career. You've got a lot of, you've got a lot of experience with a, a great organization. But what you fail to have a little bit is the from-to perspective. You've got a lot of the two, but until, unless you've, take a, a, a walk down memory lane, a really stroll on what we've done previously, you need to have some of that from perspective when you talk about journeys like safety so it can add context and flavor to the two of where we are. So I've spent a few minutes here talking about who Millican is, who Millican is the values that we have, and how we got to a certain point. So now I'm actually going to fast forward a little bit without really missing anything at all as we look back upon this 30-year journey, as we look back upon what's allowed us to go from incident rates in the 4 and 5 to the 0.4s and 0.6s and 0.7s, what are those things that have really made it resonate within Millican, last through multiple CEO changes, and something that we still talk about as an organization today? And I say that there are four keys that we have really um, institutionalized over the last 30 years that, that are important in a self-reflection of your own safety process when you talk about, is my safety process world-class? How do I become 
one of the safest companies in the world. These are four keys that have provided it for Milliken that you should give consideration to when you self-reflect upon your safety journey as well. The first one is what I call the infrastructure. So a little bit of a complexity in this picture here, but Milliken is a strong advocate internally of this safety infrastructure supported by a steering committee, which you see in the middle, and with uh, underneath the steering committee are the individual subcommittees. To this day, Milliken and Company, uh, for its 7,500 people around the world, all associates within Milliken and Company, even me, are part of a subcommittee somewhere. Now, we've progressed in a very mature organization that for the vast majority of Milliken and Company, I'm, I want to want to put a little qualifier in there, but you could you could say that for Milliken and Company in total, being part of a subcommittee is a condition of employment. Now, again, not something that an organization early or at a midpoint in their journey should attempt to do because there's a lot of work and training and education that has to go into creating this infrastructure. But for Milliken, it works. Participation on a subcommittee is a condition of employment. The selection of your steering committee is very important. You should focus on your champions. The selection of the steering of the subcommittee names is extremely important. We're strong advocates that you don't need to create subcommittee names such as boil the ocean or cure world hunger or have other extremely expansive project titles where the people will instantly be turned off when they see that because they know it's impossible to solve that um, immediately or even over the next little bit of time. The selection of the steering committee membership, the words that you use in your subcommittee, the selection of subcommittee participation, all these are extremely important in creating this infrastructure that is necessary to sustain the gains over time. We have organizations in Millican & Company, we have sites in Millican & Company that change their committee participation and enrollment on a yearly basis. They like a new fresh of eyes. They like new ideas coming in. We also have other uh, sites in Millican that have not changed subcommittee or steering committee enrollment in 15 or 20 years because they feel they have become the subject matter expert in, they, in that area and they don't want to lose that. A lot of storytelling that could go on with this, um, what I call the infrastructure, but it's very important that when you peel everything back in Millican and Companies safety process, underlying and standardized across every site, every sales office there, the headquarters here in Spartanburg, South Carolina, everywhere across the world, there is this infrastructure, this standardized infrastructure that's in place, supported with the right people at the right time. Number two, the second key is what I call recognizing the snowman. So we talked just a, a second ago about steering committee participation and subcommittee enrollment and people being part of these committees. We're strong advocates of uh, when companies are starting this journey that you choose the champions to help support you. A lot of people focus on the resistors. They, they have in their mind that if we can just get through to this person, our safety process will be better. We believe that in many cases, those resistors over time when they see the changes occurring, they're going to self-select themselves out. They're either going to get on board or they're going to self-select out. Focus on your champions. Focus on your true safety champions. And there's many, many of them out there. But what a lot of people fail to realize is the snowman effect. And what I mean by that is it's easy to see that at the top part of the snowman in Milliken and Company, in many of the organizations that we have dialogue with, we have yet to encounter a company where leadership was not bought in. It makes sense. Leadership is there. We want our workforce to be safer. We want uh, people to go home healthier than when they came in this morning. All these right conversations. You've heard so many examples out there about um, people need to start supporting it from the top. The communication needs to be there. Start every meeting with safety. All those things are critical. All those elements are important. 
but leadership has to be committed at the very beginning. And we we have rarely seen an organization where leadership is not committed to the health and well-being of their associates. We have also, interestingly, rarely seen in any organization around the world where the hourly workforce is not committed. They're there. We want to be safer. We want to be more efficient. We want our ideas heard to a greater degree than ever before. We want to be part of this safety journey. We're there. Nothing has to be. You don't have to sell us on anything you're doing here. We're there. We're sold. We're, we're bought in. We want to be safer. But where a lot of organizations fail to recognize many times is there's a part uh, of the snowman called middle management. And middle management, almost 100% of the time, struggles with this journey, struggles with this change. And you can define middle management uh, as necessary per your organization. It can be frontline supervision, which we see most of the time. It can escalate a little bit up from there. But that middle management layer many times struggles with this safety journey. And it's not the fact that they're resisting in any way. They're not being anti. They're not against it. They're there. It's the fact that they don't understand their role in this new safety journey. What is my role? I've historically had a command and control type um, management process. How am I, what am I supposed to do as I move to an empowered and an engaged workforce. What does that mean for me? We see many organizations that frontline supervision has been promoted from the hourly ranks. They were promoted to the hourly ranks because of some type of differentiation they had versus everyone else. It's human nature to not want to give some of that away, some of that away. So it's not a resistance of the hourly, it's not a resistance of the safety journey. What it is is a lack of fully understanding what their role is in the safety journey. I like to say the, the organizations that do the best out there recognize that middle management becomes what I call data providers. They feed the steering committee. They feed the subcommittee with the areas of where the next projects need to be established, with the data that they need on where they need to be working. They become data providers to that infrastructure that I showed you in the previous slide. And the organizations that do the best job at this are, are the ones that recognize that uh, quickly. Another important part, uh, key element number three, is a prescriptive standardized process. Now, I've made other presentations to go into each of these nine elements in greater detail. We could spend much more time today going through each of these key elements, I think some of them are intuitive. We propose that if your safety process is not having discussions about each of these nine, there's an opportunity for it to be improved. There's an opportunity that the ability to become world-class may be compromised a little bit. I'm going to highlight just a few of these uh, in some additional slides, but the key to this one here is that there's, a, there's the infrastructure in place, there's recognition of the snowman, and there's a prescriptive process that every site, every, every entity within Milliken & Company is requested to follow. And if you look at number five right there, there's a very unique ability of creating a safety process where everyone recognizes the need to stay standardized, yet everyone also feels the complete autonomy that they can continuously improve on the safety process at any time. That's, that's a nuanced conversation that everyone recognizes the standardization, but recognizes that if they had come up with a good idea, um, their, their safety voice will be heard and they have an opportunity to change the standardization. We need that autonomy. We need the ideas. We need that continued, continuous improvement on our safety journey. If not, if people don't feel as if they have a voice, then it's very easy for it to become stagnant. So before I move to the next one, the next one is what I call the fourth key, associate engagement. I want to ask a polling question there or here, in that is your safety process owned at the hourly level? So please, um, please fill out the polling question. I'm going to give you just a few seconds here, but I'm going to give you a little bit of background onto the next slide is as you 
take a few seconds to fill this out. What's important is that um, there's a continuum. People talk about they want an engaged workforce, but I propose that before you can even get to engaged, you have to recognize whether or not your people are involved. And involved leads to engaged. And once you get engaged, then we can move to empowered. So there's a continuum that we'll talk about in a little greater, greater detail. But let me see out of um, what the polling reports. So out of the, the many hundreds of people on the webinar today, about 20% of you do not feel like your safety process is owned at the hourly level. 31% um, looks like you're relying on your champions uh, to do the majority of the work. Use the term again, I said a while ago, muscling. Um, and it looks like if you add the last two, about about 50% of you feel as if you're on the right track, which is wonderful. Uh, don't want to imply that the other ones don't as well, but feels like you're on this journey, feels like your workforce is engaged, uh, which is very important. This is the continuum that I spoke about from the standpoint of involved to empowered. And this is one of the, the first points where we need to start having the discussion about the right balance of leading indicators versus lagging indicators, because there's certain ways to measure involvement. I like to say that if we were in a conference room right now or in some type of auditorium and there's the many hundreds of you listening to my presentation, who's involved in the presentation today? Uh, I would say most everyone is. I'm the one doing the talking, but there's some note taking, there's some nodding of heads probably out there, there's some communication amongst yourself as to this makes sense or we're further beyond this or I remember this, all the different discussions that are involved uh, with involvement. How do you move from involved to engaged? Engaged is when you get to the point where people start asking questions. How does this apply in my area? What does this mean to me? What does this look like where I'm working? Now you're starting to get that engagement and there are different metrics associated with engagement. Once they understand the journey you're on, once they understand that they're engaged and they have that trust element built, then they move to empowerment. They can move, you help move an organization from involved to engaged with your leadership styles, with your processes, with your conviction. The workforce will move themselves from engaged to empowered with your support. And that empowered is what's allowed Millican to, to do some of the things that I showed you in the first couple of slides earlier. There is a difference between each of these. I like to say that when an organization says, says they want an engaged workforce, let's talk about this continuum because what you really want is an empowered workforce. I've mentioned a few times measurement. Uh, when you go back to the prescriptive process, measurement is very important. Promotes the right behaviors. The right balance of leading and lagging indicators uh, are extremely important there. The organization I talked to, the reason I put this one in here, education, is if you look at those, uh, the prescriptive process I mentioned earlier, organization is one. What you want to achieve in your safety processes when you walk out into a certain area, when you walk into your floor, when you walk into your area where your product is being processed, if you don't have a floor, and you ask the people there, who owns the safety process here? You want everyone to raise their hand. You want everyone to say, I do because you've moved them, moved them through that engaged continuum to such a degree that they recognize that their voice is heard and they feel that ownership at a personal level. That can be accomplished um, with very little organization like Millican has. It can be accomplished with a lot of organizations, such as site-specific safety specialists. This is, uh, it can be achieved across that complete continuum. What you want to avoid is when you ask someone this question, they say, that person does, or this person, Nicole, does, or whoever it is, you want them to feel that individual ownership. And a part of this prescriptive process helps them do that. Another one, as I alluded to in the prescriptive process, is time and dollar commitment. And this is an important analysis from the standpoint of, if you look at Millican and Company in total, what we have in the red is the amount of money spent per associate in the, what I call the cost of prevention. So prior to the incident occurring, that number is somewhere around $1,200 per associate. And that cost of prevention uh, finds itself in uh, PPE. It 
It finds itself in education. It finds itself in nurses. We have six nurses that have multi-plan responsibility. All those cash flows that go into the cost of prevention. I'll also tell you, it's always a good point to say that if you talk to a Millican hourly associate, they will tell you that on average they spend two hours per week in safety. Now, that two hours is not two hours off the job. Some amount is, maybe up to 30 minutes spent in this infrastructure, spent in steering committees, spent in subcommittees. That two hours is not off the job, but the two hours of cost associated with it is in this red. And then if you look at the cost post-incident, the cost of indemnification, the cost of medical, and again, as I painted a picture for you, Milliken's numbers are not so very in nature. The cost of the cost post-incident uh, is there in the in the whitish type bar. So if you add these two together, we're looking at somewhere around $1,300 per associate per year, the cost of being safe, excluding healthcare premium, excluding all these other things. If you look at industry average, Milliken spends, the average company spends twice as much with an incident rate as many times as seven to 10 times higher. Now, this is not an advocacy that mil- that every organization needs to look like the distribution on the left. But what this is an advocacy for is now we have the data and the vast majority of our spend should be prior to an incident occurring as opposed to post-incident. It also allows us the data that we can have a conversation with leadership and say, if we found a way to take our point six to a point three, but it's going to cost $5 million as just to throw a random number out, would leadership do it? The question, I get that question a lot, and I like to say, I don't know, but at least now we have the data. My gut is that the organization probably would invest that, but now we have a proper balance of metrics of at least our spin is heavily skewed towards the pre as opposed to the prior an incident occurring. And also the last element to dig into on the prescriptive steps are um, provide the right tools to do the job, how the workforce can do all those things associated with a world-class, all-encompassing safety process uh, when they need to, all the way down from JSAs and down to the soft skill training. Very important part that this infrastructure I showed you previously is supported by the prescriptive steps and they know what to do when to do it. And we can't talk about safety without making it awareness activities being the last one. Have fun and celebrate. Celebrate these successes. Create these proof of concepts. People will buy in significantly quicker once they see this than um, than any other than any other mechanism you can have. Have fun with this safety process. Make it fun to everyone. Share best practices across multiple sites. Very important part of the process. So you could argue, in summary, as I build this out very quickly, that in many organizations, the common safety process is top-down driven. Uh, you need to become safer. And it's up to the organization from there for it to filter and cascade through that they need to find a way to become safer. And you can imagine as it cascades down to the hourly associate and cascades down as far as it can in the organization, the ability to own the safety process and to become accountable uh, for the safety process is compromised. It's very difficult to do when it's, it's, it's commanded from the top as opposed, as opposed to supported from the top. But in this new safety process, the Millican um, safety process that has been created over a 30-year journey, very important that this that it starts at the hourly level, so that it can be so that it can be sustained, so that it can be continuously improved, so that it can be standardized, and so that it will last through multiple leadership changes. So I want to take just a couple of seconds very briefly. I've got one more polling question for you here to talk about Performance Solution by Millican. Um, Performance Solution by Millican is a part of Millican and Company that has assisted many other uh, organizations on their safety journey. And we say that they, we have three key uh, differentiators, one being practitioners. There's a lot to be said with the gray hair that I have with the 32 years of being part of Millican and Company. There's a lot to be said um, with that from two perspective, the been there, done that is extremely important. 
We also are, as you can tell from this um, presentation so far, strong, strong advocates of any, any change like this has to occur at the hourly associate level. Um, associate engagement, associate empowerment, extremely important to us. And I skipped the second one, but I want to talk to you just briefly here. It's why I showed this slide is that one of the things that we've been fortunate to do is when companies are interested in learning more, we open our plants to one-on-one -on -one visits. Uh, so everything we do in performance solutions is targeted to what we can show you in our manufacturing sites. And as we close this presentation today, I'm going to turn it over to Kevin in just a few seconds here for about 10 or 15 minutes of some final Q&A. But um, would you be interested in taking a tour of a Millican & Company manufacturing site? Our average manufacturing site, we've got um, some around the world, our largest is probably about 500 associates. Our average is probably in the neighborhood between 175 and 200 uh, is the size of our plant. But we've had organizations come through uh, that have 6,000 people under roof. And we've had organizations come through that have 75. So really, it's not a function of um, um, making an equivalent size analysis. It's about uh, if you have an organization that might benefit from taking a tour of the Millican site and learning more, uh, let us know. Let us know. Some organizations are not. Some are somewhat, and some are definitely. So as we wrap up the, the my part of the presentation and we move to the um, Q&A, thank you for being frank in this polling questions. Thank you again for your attendance today. I enjoy making these presentations. I hope a little bit of that enthusiasm comes out a little bit. And we'll get a copy of the attendees uh, polling question responses uh, after after this webinar. So we'll we'll be back in touch very soon. But again, as I turn it back over to Kevin here in just a minute, thank you again for your attendance today. Uh, thank you very much for um, participating in these polling questions. Kevin? Excellent. Great job, Phil. Thanks for your insights and expertise. Uh, before we do go ahead and start the Q&A, I just want to remind everyone of the evaluation survey that we're asking you to complete. The survey should be appearing on your screen now. Uh, we do appreciate your input because it will help us improve future webcasts. If you don't see the evaluation survey on your screen, please turn off your pop-up blocker. You may also uh, access the survey by clicking the survey button near the lower right part of your screen. And with that, we'll get to some questions. Um, first, what hurdles have you seen uh, to engaging the workforce? Uh, great question. Some of the hurdles early on are not necessarily recognizing the snowman in your organization. Again, that middle management is not necessarily resistors. They're more along the lines of having uncertainty, uncertainty of their role. So some of the hurdles early on are organizational in nature, recognizing the snowman, but also recognizing um, what's driving this change. You need the leadership support. Leadership has a role and leadership needs to play that role through consistent messaging. So those are some of the two quick hurdles that we've seen uh, in many organizations and had to overcome within Milligan as well. How does safety tie into corporate strategy? Safety uh, for Milligan and company and safety for a lot of companies is, um, is really a, a foundation for what the strategy is built on, meaning that there's obviously other very important strategic questions that need to be answered, such as uh, market share and, and top-line growth in addition to bottom-line growth and all those business, business metrics and competitive analysis. But for us, safety is a leading indicator of an empowered workforce in which we can build and trust the results from our other efforts to be sustainable. The fact that we can have uh, start talking about acquisitions within Milliken and Company and lead with safety in those acquisitions and have confidence in the fact that when we make an acquisition that should change the top line of Milliken and Company, we have confidence that we can make that acquisition because we have such an empowered workforce and we can merge the acquisition or the investment into a very strong culture to begin with. So while many times it's not explicitly delineated as let's have a safety discussion in the context of corporate strategy, 
it's very important from a standpoint of corporate culture that's established in your footprint. How do I evaluate where I am on the journey? Uh, a great question. Several different ways to do that. I like to refer to uh, give very careful analysis to what I call that continuum. Are you involved? Are, are is your workforce involved? Are you at the involved stage? Are you at the engaged stage? Is everyone there? It's, it's going to be very. I don't even know that it's possible in Millican and Company to this day to have an expectation that 100% of the 7,500 people uh, would classify themselves as empowered. But I do think the culture is there. And the infrastructure is there to such a degree that people recognize if they don't necessarily consider themselves empowered, they recognize that the organization is. So I think it's a careful analysis of where you are on that involved to engaged to empowered continuum. We've seen we've seen a company recently add a fourth element to that continuum called owned. And you could argue owned equals empowered, but you can envision that this go this this continuum that I'm painting a picture of. Um, very important to self-reflect on where you are in that journey. Next one. Uh, what are recommendations for handling resistors to the process? Um, May uh, alluded to this a little bit earlier. Some organizations feel as if they want to focus on the resistors because they have the mindset that if we can just change these 15 people's mindset, our safety record will be much better. Now, while you can't necessarily argue with that reasoning, let me put it this way, while maybe the safety record would be improved, the to focus on the resistors um, takes time away from the continuous improvement aspects of the champions. Let me put it this way. Let me paint a picture of a uh, normal distribution where 10% of your organization is the champions. They're there. They're more committed to safety than you are. You just don't recognize it yet. 80% of the organization are the wait and seers. We're just going to, I'm not going to resist in any way, but there has to be a proof of concept. You need to show me the value in this before I jump fully in and buy completely on. But if you can show it to me, I'm there. You got me. And then the last 10% of the organization is resistors. Focus on, focus on the left-hand side of that normal distribution focused on your champions because what we have seen time and time again is people don't want to work in an environment where they are where they where their voice is not heard where their uh, ideas are not solicited because these people on the right hand side of that normal distribution they're leaders in a different context they're just leading to a different agenda than what your agenda is they will self-select over time they may change to be wait and seers. They may change to be champions. We've seen some of both of that. That's wonderful when they do. Not talking instant, any type of disciplinary or any type of process at all. Over time, they're going to change to where uh, they're either going to be bought in and have a greater trust element for your organization than they did previously, or they're going to self-select themselves out because their peers will not want them around them if they're going to continue to be resistant to these type of changes. What are some examples of these methodologies that were implemented in order to predict accidents before they happen? There are, uh, there's, there's several tools that we've used out there. I'm going to use one. I'm, I'll, I'll make reference to two of them. One is a failure mode effect analysis, um, which is a predictive tool in where you go where an incident could could potentially occur even though you have not had one yet and through a rating of uh, three different rating scales you can predict and create a number for the probability that an incident will occur in that area another tool out there is what's called an R3 a residual risk reduction uh, Liberty Mutual created that several years ago we were um, part of the creation process with them um, back in the early phases, but there's a couple of tools there that will allow you to put a quantitative number on the potential that an incident will occur in that area, make the necessary changes, measure it again, and see the impact of the countermeasures that you put in place. It can be done um, quantitatively through some of these tools, so it doesn't become an objective um, 
idea based on someone's experiential thinking. There's ways to quantitatively establish this. Earlier, uh, earlier you mentioned the OSHA VPP STAR program. Could you talk more about that, walk us through it? So one of the points in the um, Millican journey is, um, I believe it was the early 90s is what the, what the timeline showed. We partnered with OSHA in a VPP program. And what that stands for, stands for Voluntary Protection Program. So you partner with OSHA to where they come in and do a, do a, do a, a review of your manufacturing site, and they'll certify you as a star site or you have opportunity to improve. It's a greater partnership with OSHA than many organizations have ever had before. And you go through recertifications one, three, five years later, et cetera. OSHA was uh, the VPP star certification. At one point in time, uh, Millican had the second largest number of VPP star certified sites of any company in the United States. And I think that's still the case, but we made a couple of acquisitions, so I don't want to speak out of turn if, if we haven't gotten to that point yet. But we found it very powerful in the standardization of ideas from site to site. Every, every state should have some type of VPP infrastructure um, but you can look it up through OSHA. It was it was a it was a good learning for some of the things we did in the early to mid nineties. Anything Another data point. Oh, I'm sorry, Phil. Go ahead. I was just going to say thank you, Kevin. It's just a uh, another data point on the journey. I, I like to say that if you look at that timeline and you look at a a lot of things that I've shown you in this presentation today. There weren't, there wasn't necessarily one silver bullet that did it for Millican Company or that will do it for any other organization uh, to get you to that world class level. It was recognizing the combination of all these different elements uh, into the creation of a holistic system that really put it in place for us. You can, I like to tell many companies that, and I have to be careful when I word this because I don't want to turn someone off instantly. Millican, let me put it this way. Let's go, let's get, say performance solution. We are not an advocate of behavior-based safety. We're not an advocate of machine guarding. We're not an advocate of com code and compliance. We're not an advocate of, of all these other different individual discrete words that you hear out there. What we are is an advocate of a holistic safety process that encompasses all those different elements of things that I just talked about that has to have elements of behavior-based safety that has to have elements of the right tools and processes and JSAs and machine guarding and has to have the right elements of coding compliance to ensure um, ethical compliance with all regulations. Uh, a safety process can't just focus on one or two of those. It has to be all-encompassing in order to be sustainable over time. All right, I believe we've got time for one more question. Um, Anything specific that you use to help middle management balance the importance of safety with operational needs? Yes, that's a great question. There are specific targeted um, boot camps that can be provided to middle management, and much of that is really about a conversation, assistance, guidance with them understanding their new role. This an empowered safety process does not mean that you give up a certain amount of control that you've had over the accountability of your job performance. It just means that this is your role in this safety process. This is what you have to provide the steering committee and the subcommittees. And this is how you have to do it on a timely manner to ensure that they become successful in what they're trying to do. This is how you support. It's going to be very important that you support this process uh, as opposed to as opposed to struggling with understanding how to support it because your role is so key in the success. Okay, well, uh, again, uh, we thank you. Unfortunately, we have run out of time today. Sorry that we didn't get to everyone's questions, but all of today's unanswered questions will be forwarded on to Phil. Once again, hope that you take the time to fill out the evaluation survey on your screen and give us your feedback. And that ends today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. I'd like to thank Phil McIntyre, everyone at Performance Solutions by Millican, and all of you who listened in. Thanks, and have a great day.